I really want it to be 80s newscaster music. This show is not allied with any sect, denomination, political entity, organization, or institution. Does not engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any cause. Neither do we. We are not affiliated with Al-Anon or any other 12-step program. The opinions expressed here are strictly of the person who gave them. Please take what you like and leave the rest. Hi, I'm Corey. Hi, Corey. Hi, I'm Claire. Hi, Claire. And this? This is Cross Talk. Oh, you really drugged that one out. I thought maybe it was a technical error. I thought that there was a technical error, too. Well, maybe there is. We're on Zoom today, people, so um, we have to we have to see if good old Zencaster is better or worse. We'll find out. Um, should we talk about on? rolling with the punches? Talk should about get... just like showing up. I mean, yeah, I, you know, we were trying. Here's the thing: we were trying our old program, and it wasn't working, and it wasn't easy, does it? So fucking wasn't. I was like, because I'm friggin' great at this. Uh, whole oh, on thing was like, we need to do right. easy, does it? We need to move to Zoom. And uh, it's true. Corey said, This is not easy, does it? I said, It's the opposite. This is shitty, shit, shit. It's hard, <laughs> it's does it? Working. This is Difficult, hard, not happening. <laughs> this is hard and it's not happening. So, um, well, let's get current then, aside from our fun little technical get going here. Uh, mine's y- take us away. Uh, I have great like four weeks. Uh, I have just fully fallen off the wagon as far as meetings go. And uh, I just work. (laughs) Just work like 24 hours a day and uh, I'm really busy. 24 hours a day? Well, it feels like 24 hours a day. (laughs) I guess I should say it's the only thing I think about, Mm. uh, which is different than the actual activity. Some of it's obsession. Some of it's actually productive. And uh, I'm launching my new project in 10 days. Uh, online and then rolling it out bigger and uh, my business partner went on maternity leave and I'm uh, I've got some other business partners but my uh, original co-founder went on maternity leave and um, was just like hey here like good luck I mean, she didn't do it in a in a nefarious way, but it was like, oh, wow, nothing, everything that needed to happen really major was happening in the last four weeks. So you need to do all of it. So, you know, it's been a lot. I think I've been sharing about this for weeks. It's been a lot of what's my responsibility. What's Oh, I hear you talk about. I know. I don't really have a very interesting <laughs> recovery at the moment. But I, ha- I will say that <clears throat> it's not affecting me on a deep level. Like I sleep. Mm. And I do things, and as long as I get out of the house and go for hikes and visit friends and things, I'm pretty quickly back to perspective. Um, I don't feel that I am unmanageable, or that it's unmanageable at the moment. Uh, it's just a lot, and it is what it is. It's a lot, and I get up and I, I do it. Um, I have a list, of, an iP- a sticky note on my computer of how I want to show up every day, including all the adjectives, like... Um, I want to be positive and I want to be of service and I want to be helpful. And I really try to look at that every morning and go through that. And really the main thing I'm trying to figure out or figure out the main thing I'm trying to stay focused on in this one is 
that the business also has a higher power and it is a it has a larger ecosystem beyond me. So I'm I got used to the concept of people having their own higher power and learned detachment from people, but now I'm like, oh, can I detach from this entity? Um, and how much can I detach and where is it appropriate? And I think it's just going to take time. Uh, but, I, but I definitely feel that it does. And, and when I remember that I'm not God, as it turns out, Claire. What? In, in, like we knew that in like life and stuff, but like at work, obviously. Oh my. Still God. Oh my. But it turns out even at work, I'm not God or at least with work. <clears throat> so, wow. So that was a relief. Um, yeah. I'm going. I'm going up to Portland in a week to live there for, for my city life. I'm really excited about that. And you know, I you know what I've been doing a lot lately. I forget what I was listening. Couldn't to guess or reading. Couldn't guess. Some some oh some Al-Anon fellow was sharing with me about like not getting the dream deal, the dream sale of his company or whatever. And mm. what? But what does he have? Like, what does he really want? And what does he really have already? And when you actually write it down, you know, it's like, oh, he's actually living the life that he really wants. It just doesn't mm. look like the dream. And so I've really started to do a lot of fact-based lists of like just just check-ins of my whole life, like inventories of my whole life. I'm like, you know, I have a I have this house in the woods that I wanted. Like that's what people work to get. Like and I'm trying to get this deal done so I can be independent so that I can be someone who has a house in the woods, but I already do. So it's like really taking stock of what's actually happening, even if it feels uncomfortable and unsustainable and like you need to achieve these other things. Um, just a lot of inventories lately, just a lot of fact-based inventories about, you know, the stories we tell ourselves, which is, you know, part of our program. But I don't think something that I really took to work in the same way that I do now. So that's about it. But yeah. That's great. That's great. Um, ah, gosh, I really want to say a bunch of stuff about what you said, but I'm going to just skip myself current. I'm currently, hmm, that actually is really poignant. I'm currently keeping focus on myself as much as I possibly fucking can. I wasn't sure. Fuck. I'm going to say a thing. I'm going to say a thing. I'm <clears throat> having an interesting experience in my romantic relationship and I think it's important for me to just speak to it for a moment because gosh I don't know anybody in program that hasn't had an interesting experience in their romantic relationship and what I'll say is like um, there were some agreements that were that we had that I had with my partner that were broken and I'm really feeling hurt today around it and it's still pretty new and also my higher power is fucking amazing. My higher power, Corey, is like fucking Claire. I feel like I was maybe sleeping a little bit, metaphorically speaking. I was a little complacent. I was a little like snoozy snoozerton on my life and like codependency a little bit and just like gotten to that like four years into a relationship, like monotony, like stagnant space and like ignoring 
myself. Interesting that you were talking about your list. I've been doing a lot of lists as well. And I wrote down just now, ooh, after this, I'm going to make a gratitude list about all the things I have today that I was seeking. My higher power always gives me what? Like, look, this is my experience, okay? The gifts have come. The gifts continue to come. The promises and the gifts, if I willingly surrender myself to the spiritual discipline of the 12 steps, my life will be transformed. Fucking A, it is. And in this jolt that I've been experiencing of like, hey, do you want to keep moving forward or do you want to live a different life because you keep praying to me and meditating with me, Claire, that you want a different life. This is my higher power talking to me. But like, are you doing it? And my HP was like, also my HP shakes shit up because I can be lazy. Just one of the things I can be. And I can be snoozy and I can (laughs) find it difficult sometimes to take action that is needed for a result that I want, right? Like that's my like Achilles heel is the action. Like hitting that action hard around things that I like want um and my HP was just like bitch wake up and I was like I am awake thank you so much I am awake and I'm reevaluating everything and that doesn't mean like I'm reevaluating my romantic relationship in a like it's uh, like over or something or like or oh got to double down or anything. It's literally like a gray one day at a time like okay. It's also again slow like this is a fucking slow burn program forever. There's no graduation and just the way that I've been showing up for myself has been mind-blowing. I didn't know I could love myself this much and, like, take care of myself so deeply and, like, just do, like, I just, like, hit, like, the when it started, I, like, hit the Al-Anon bell. I was just, like, went, ran up to the bell tower and I was, like, ding-a-ding-a-ding-a-ding-a-ding. Hey, program people, I need your fucking help because I was, it's crazy. My life's unmanageable. And I'm doing fake bell toll uh, motions for all of you listeners out there. And I would just, like, you know, the people showed up, like, my fellowship and my program was like, we are here, you know? And so instead of like regressing and being in an old place of like compare and despair and like sadness and like fucking pity, this is not to say that I'm not allowing myself to have feelings and I'll wrap up my share, but like, this is not to say that I'm not allowing myself to have feelings because like I get to experience the vastness of my emotions and not be a slave to them. And so I have had my feelings. And today I'm feeling a little sad. I'm feeling a little sad today. And I also am feeling really hopeful today. And I get to have those in the same container. I don't have to separate my feelings to be, you know, just because I feel a little sadness doesn't mean I can't be hopeful. I get to have all of it because like I have a big fucking life and like no one is taking my big life from me. I'm not, and no one's trying to, right? I'm not a victim. Like I'm not going to give my life away anymore. And, um, and I, and I think I, I've had that mentality for a while in program, but like I got a whole new level up. I'm leveling up, Corey. It's bonkers. And it's great. Leveling up is always fun, but also difficult. Yeah, um, It's uncomfortable. It sounds like you might be experiencing, in addition to all your feelings, Say it. some grief. I am because I'm grieving an old self. Yeah. I'm grieving an old self. Yeah, I am. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, is a normal part of life. We, I think we run and try and mm-hmm. avoid it a lot in our lives as Al-Anons and uh, in our previous pre-recovery. And so to really let it have space is, is to me, recovery. And, um, you know, it's actually 
believe it or not. Wait, no. The topic is it? today. Oh my god. You didn't see that transition coming. I didn't see it. I like I a, had no like idea. This uh, wow. Like a stealth ninja with these transitions. Got me um, again. Yeah, no, we're going to talk about grief today, and I got plenty to say, but we brought somebody on who we both know and love, who's amazing and has lots of things to share, but has some recent grief, so we thought we would take advantage of that uh, stage of her life uh, Mm -hmm. and talk about it, and we brought Betty on the show. Betty, you can unmute yourself. How you doing, Betty? Welcome. I'm happy to have you take advantage of my grief. (laughs) (laughs) somebody should (laughs) oh man i mean when i met you first of all another wednesday night rock star true just just fyi cochran avenue baptist church in the house Uh, we've mm. had so many on here there's just so much interesting people in that room it's Um, true you know so anyway, Betty, and we've known you through so many, and you're in such a great place in your life, actually, which is so wonderful. But we're not going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about <laughs> We might. We can talk about that, too. Um, I think we will. We talk I about think... whatever you want. Don't yeah. tell Betty what she's going to talk about. Listen, I was trying to make a joke. It didn't land. Um, it didn't. That so was let's... a bomb. Take that one off the set list, babe. Well, let's hear, let's hear your lead, and then we can cross-talk this thing. Okay. How would you like your time, Betty? Oh, I don't remember how much I have. You get ten. ten? You get a ten. Yeah, ten. Let's, ten. Ten. Let's do the three, three, three and one. <laughs> I'll make you work, Claire. <laughs> That's my jam. The three, three, three and one. I get it. Yeah. It just right. helps me keep out of the out of the past. Yeah. Me too. So me too. hello. I am Betty. I'm a grateful member. Hi, Betty. Hi. I am so happy to see you guys. It's been too long. Um, okay. So what it was like, I come from a family of... It's so hard because my dad, who died in September is the alcoholic that got me to these rooms. So the, what it was like is different now. And he never identified that way. Um, But he wasn't the only one. We had plenty of others to choose from and plenty of other substances to choose from and plenty of other diseases to choose from. Um, Hollywood family entitled um yeah it's really hard to say i'm so surprised that it's the what it was like is so different since he's gone now oh i didn't expect to cry till later (laughs) so um yeah this is grief and just decides to come whenever it damn well pleases and the part that Al-Anon has provided is a safe place for it
forget the three, 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 and one. I'm just going to talk. Um, I actually joined an outside grief group as a recommendation from one of our fellows. And I fucking hate it. And I'm doing six meetings because that's how we roll. But I can't stand being on a Zoom watching strangers talk about their parents' death and all of this stuff. Um, and the safest place I've found to deal with all of this has been in my recovery rooms because people don't fucking interrupt me and they just hold space and let me be. And they know me, they've known me and known me like nobody else knows me, know me like my family will never know me because there's no space for that in disease. Right. So you guys know um, how much of service I want to be, how humble I want to be, how tripped up I get over tech. Now you know that from the last 15 minutes before this program. And, and there's still a space where we get to love each other and you let me work it through by myself. You're not giving me advice. You're not telling me to feel better. I just get to be fucking sad because my dad died. You know, and he died during COVID and he didn't die of COVID, but he died during COVID, which meant that my controlling family members um, were alternating visits at the hospital to manage his medical care as well. And for that, I was truly grateful because I'm not, I'm very tested by that. And can do it and have done it recently for my mom, which is a whole nother story. But um, because I have a higher power and because I have a fellowship and I have a community and I have a lot of love in my life from friends that have known me and known my dad for 30 or 40 years and from a new relationship. Um. When I got a call from my brother saying, oh, you know, we could get the call any day now that dad might be going. And, I, he, you know, all the time we've been talking back and forth about, you know, his status and what was going on now and this and that. Um, he never used the D word, the dying word. And so I thought it was different. And my brother and I are not close. I've made my amends to him. We don't gel. We just don't. We are just really different people. And um, this was the most I think we've ever communicated on a regular basis was about dad's health and dad's dying. But when he said that to me, and I knew there was no future time for me to go see him, I got up in the middle of the night and I went to the hospital. And I told them at Cedars, I said, I think my dad is passing soon and I want to see him. And they called the nurse's station and they said, well, he's not passing soon, but you can come up. It was two in the morning because I know from previous hospital experience, the nurses are the bomb. So I went up there and for me, you know, he had just gotten a bath and he looked at me. He's like, what are you doing here? Why are you here? I said, I want to see your face. He goes, how's my face? I said, it's beautiful. 
how's mine? And we had like a 15 minute lovely visit. And when I left, the nurses said, oh, you should come more. We didn't even know he had a daughter. And he had been in the hospital for months. And that's how my family shows up. (laughs) So I told my brother that um, the next day I texted him that I saw dad and and how nice it was. And he went off. He was like, oh, you've jeopardized everybody's health. And why did you do this? And, you know, they don't know I'm there. It's going to be so confusing for his medical care now. And it was like, no, no, it's not. No, it's not. I'm not going to do anything medically. But dealing with the disease of alcoholism when somebody is dying is one of the hardest things I've ever gone through because it's so hard to take care of yourself and feel like you want to be there for the sick person and yet not take on the disease of other people. And I was as respectful. I, my joke was I'm getting fucking altitude sickness from being on the high road for so long, but that's just how it has to be. So. I got to see my dad one more time after that, before he passed. And um, the funeral was only 18 people for a man with, who was larger than life. There would have been hundreds of people there. And I had no um, input on how anything went, which everybody had told me what happened to like, So, and to me, as much as that is sad, to me, that was uh, HP at work because had there been a funeral with hundreds and hundreds of people, it would have been so uncomfortable for me because I'm not good in big groups and had such a separate life with my dad because of my relationship with his wife and But I will say that Al-Anon has helped me just do what I know I could do best. Okay. And I'll leave you with this. I texted my dad. Thank God he was a techie and we could FaceTime. I texted him every day. I texted him flowers, pictures of flowers, because you can't bring people to the hospital with COVID. And, um, And we were clean. I'd made my amends to him too. Um, I feel like I aired all my dirty laundry (laughs) talking about grief, but it's in the details of people's stories that have given me the most recovery. So I hope my details and dirty laundry help others to stay close to the fellowship meetings and HP if you're going through something difficult like this. Thank you. Thanks, Betty. And thank you for being vulnerable. I'd love to hear more about your dad if you're open to that. Talking about, (laughs) I'd love to. I heard, you know, obviously we keep a pretty anonymous—that's a new word I made uh, up—profile in the rooms. (laughs) Um, But and so I've never really asked you. But you know, this this sort of you you often reference this sort of Hollywood family, this larger than life, this somewhat potentially public facing. And I'm curious if you could share a little bit about what that was and 
and you know what that meant with alcoholism in the home and maybe a little bit about your dad and your history well i remember hearing in some of your previous podcasts the theme of denial you know mm-hmm. and my my family looked great on the outside we were always charming and wonderful and welcoming to other people. Our house was the house that had everything going on. Our house was where the drug deals went down. You know, you know, our house was where the big meals happened and all the drinking happened. And I don't think I realized that there was the disease of alcoholism until like one cousin said, well, your dad's an alcoholic. And mine is too. And, you know, it just shocked me into, you know, wondering, well, what would that mean then? And um, very high functioning, you know, so high functioning. We are also a family of workaholics as well. So. You know, you could never miss a family event because you didn't want to or you wanted to do something for yourself. But if you were working, you know, badge of honor. <laughs> um, yep. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't until. Yeah, there was a couple of times I'd seen my dad in really bad shape or talked to my mom after they split up and then finally divorced. Um you know, about dad lying by the, the toilet and her leaving him there and that kind of, that kind of drunk stuff that I didn't really see. Um, but he was also, I called him Mr. Curious and that's where I get my insatiable curiosity. We were always pre Google, like, what do you think about this? How do we find out about that? Oh, let's go do this. I mean, total adventure geeks. We just wanted to always know if we met somebody like the valet guy or the waitress or somebody in the grocery store, it was like always wanting to make a connection. Mm -hmm. If somebody's going to talk to me, I want it to be meaningful. End of story. And I think a lot of that I got from my dad. And I still do that all the time. (laughs) And... um. Yeah, but I also, um, the part that keeps me quiet about the Hollywood stuff is that I had a lot of previous usury relationships from people trying to get someplace in their career because of who I was. Mm. So I don't, I downplay things. Mm. I don't flaunt it. I don't talk about it. I was ashamed about it. You know, I was I think I felt entitled before it was a word and always wanted to make up for it. Wanted to, like, I felt like I owed people right out of the gate all the time. Mm. And so Al-Anon's helped me feel like I can actually have a place and have success and have love and have joy and that I don't owe anybody anything. Yeah. I think Al-Anon really, being an Al-Anon really often has that feeling that everything's transactional. At least that's my, been my experience. So we feel like, if someone does something for us, we can do something for them or, or that we do owe people things from the get go. And so it would be really interesting to be in a, in a Hollywood style community where you would potentially owe, feel like you owe people who are trying to use you in that way, to your point. That's really interesting. I never really thought about it playing out in that way before. 
Yeah, I remember being in New York because my dad was shooting something there and we were in a limousine going to a restaurant and we got out and all these people came by and somebody said, who's in there? Who's in there? And I just looked at them and I'm like, we're nobody. (laughs) And I literally said that, you know, (laughs) just, yeah. So angry. So freaked out. Yeah. Um, So you had this relationship. (laughs) What was it like with your, when you were a child with your father and then once you were an adult? Um, I didn't have a relationship with my dad until my parents separated the first time. He was all about his son because his dad was not about him. And his dad was an alcoholic and a cheater and all that stuff too. So he was all about his son. And then when he moved out, he had to make appointments with me. So I was thrilled. I'm like, oh, cool. I get to add time on my own. And that's how we started to build our relationship. And it started, it practically stayed that way through our whole life. It was very private. And so my grief and my loss about him is something I share with my Al-Anon fellows and my friends, but not with my family. In fact, after his funeral, I had my own little service for him at my house with my close friends. And um, it was really sweet. And that felt good. Because I have two families, fortunately. Hmm. Yeah, so... So what were you surprised by the amount of grief that you had when it came? Oh yeah, I'm still I was surprised 10 minutes ago. Yeah. Grief is, you know, and and to take it into like a wider view, I mean, we've all been in a pandemic. There's tons of grief there. And we're all blaming ourselves for it when it's not our fault. There's grief from our loss of what our life used to be what we thought it could be, plans. Um, I've also lost students of mine to COVID, a good friend of mine to COVID, um, and my mom's losing her mind. So grief is just constantly around me. It's just a big, a friend of mine described it as a big white. She goes, you're in a hallway. And I'm like, my hallway is like the size of a warehouse with the things I don't know about that are going to happen in my life right now. Yeah. So it does surprise me. And what Al-Anon can do is help me stay present in the moment, whatever I'm doing. You know, when those yucky feelings come up, I can at least let them out now. You know, I'm not going to hurt my body further and stuff them and get some other disease or some other illness Mm -hmm. because of not feeling it. I tried to do that in the beginning of my dad's decline and my neck was so stiff and I just, I couldn't move. So I try to cry. I try to journal. I try to reach my fellows. I try to paint. I try to see the beach. I try to stay close to HP as much as I possibly can. Yeah. Grief's like water. You can't fight it. It just goes where it wants. Mm, that's so true. I know when I lost my mom, I I got, I mean, I, I had this reoccurring medical condition. I ended up in a hospital for two and a half weeks. Like I, was just it just destroyed me um and i couldn't stop it 
I couldn't stop it. There was this really, it was a really strong test actually program because there was, it was a separate, like the, of the levels of codependency in my life, that was such an interesting codependent relationship for me, for me in many ways, even mm -hmm. though we had a lot of good distance. It was like that had to die, like that bridge, that connection had to die. And it felt like it was going to kill me <laughs> in the process. And we, we've both been divorced, I know, as well. And like that feeling is very similar. It's like if you, you have to bridge that, you have to break that bridge and it feels like it's going to kill you. And of course you don't die. <laughs> and um, I wonder what the future griefs would be, like losing my dad when that time is, um, that time happens. Uh, will it be as strong? I mean, we have a different relationship or will, but more than that, like is the shoring up of the self and the relationship to the higher power and our be ability to live in our serenity and our program so strong now that it won't be as like, could it be more beautiful? Could it be more, e could it be more easy? Does it right? Could it be more easy? Does it? That's my hope for my next grief encounter. I don't know what will happen. We can't control it, but the family dynamics may be more easy. Does it? Mm. The loss takes my breath away when I think about, oh, I can't call him. Mm. It's like mm. I'm in negotiations for another potential project and he'd be so fucking thrilled and proud and can't call him. Mm. You know, but the, the, the shoring up that you talk about with the fellowship and the tools we have and the practices, spiritual practices we have and the miracles we've experienced before made my interactions with my immediate family so much easier. I took such good care of myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, we had to wait around for like a half an hour for them to move the casket to the burial site. And so my mom was with me and we just took a drive around this, the, uh, grounds because I didn't want to just sit around with all these people I don't want to talk to and don't want to talk to mm -hmm. me and we're all so uncomfortable I don't want to sit there for another half hour in that disease so I was like what can we do let's go look at the stained glass over here it's beautiful it's mm -hmm. you know those kind of tools were so helpful yeah I mean grief is like a wedding right like everyone else is involved the family's involved <laughs> I remember I yeah. had to leave. My uh, my dad was insistent that we have like the service at the Elks Lodge or whatever with all her his, their drinking buddies, and I'm like, all right, it's for you anyway. Like I don't need to see any of these people or have barbecue with them, so fine. And then like we were at the graveside, and he's like, we have to go right now. We have to be there before everyone gets there. Like she, he wouldn't let me sit and like stay for a while, and I was like, all right, like. I, but then I fought him on certain things. I'm like. Nope, we're yes, we're spending five hundred dollars on flowers. Like you just need to get over it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, hemming and I'm like I don't have a conversation about money right now. I just don't. Um, right. Especially for a person who has resources, and there were certain things that I was just like, okay, just have have your way. It, whatever you need to do, I'm detached with love. Yeah, and that's why I did my own little service because I was not asked anything. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's the way it always mm -hmm. is. Now. It's not different. If I'm out of denial, that's the way it is. It's easier for everybody if I'm separate. And now I realize it's easier for me too. Mm -hmm. There's loss there. There's grief there too. But quite frankly, you know, it's like people are saying, why do you, my fellows, when I was, why do you want in on this? You are not respected. You are not treated well. You are 
They don't mm-hmm. know you. They're not going to. And all you do is blame yourself and try and change mm-hmm. when you try and get in there. So don't go. So mm-hmm. I don't go. I'm curious, Betty. You know, I have a father who's an active drinker to this day, and he's gets older all the time. And in his they do that. Is, yeah, they do that. And his health is like shit, you know. Um, and he had like a couple heart uh, things a couple like a couple of years ago. He had some heart stuff. He was in the hospital for it. You know, he like has medication he's not supposed to drink on. All of these are just facts. I literally don't obsess or think about it to truly, truly because program. So my question though is my curiosity is like, I guess I feel like um, it's not like, I'm just kind of like, hey, he didn't die today is ha- truly how I feel about his existence. Um, you know, and I, I don't like act from a place of urgency around that. I call and I still have my boundaries and I still don't take evening calls. And sometimes he answers my mom's phone and I'm like, and he's, you know, and uh, I'm like, okay. He's like, did where you, you weren't looking for me. And I'm like, I could chat with you, dad. You know, it's like, I also feel like I've, I have done a lot of grieving of the man that and the father that I had when I was younger that I don't that does not exist anymore who is gone who is completely gone because of the disease of alcoholism and I've done a lot you know I've had so much grieving of that I feel like in so many ways I've lost I have grieved the loss of multiple t- versions of my my dad who just he's just doesn't like doesn't exist you know mm-hmm. once in a while like that version might seem to come up and then I'm reminded like I want to believe the problem is gone for good you know that's like uh, my disease and I'm like oh no like this is just a, a moment like it might as well be a memory and like enjoy it sure but like also like he does he's not back like the guy that used to like take us all on vacation road trip across the country and like go to movies and like watch movies and do pizza and like all you know like he's just not there anymore you know um yeah and so i guess i'm i'm wondering like did you do you have any experience like that having i'm assuming i guess that you're i don't know if your dad was drinking you know or continued to drink and had that or if you have that any kind of experience around that concept of grieving versions of someone that has, you know, it's almost like somebody with Alzheimer's. It's like, Oh, that person's gone. I was going to say, yeah, I don't have it. Yeah. I didn't have it with my dad because he was high functioning till his last days, Mm. you know? So he was pretty much the same that way. But with my mom now, who is in mid-stage Alzheimer's, who we just moved her to assisted living a few months ago and last month, she fell three times. We had three emergency room visits, you know, eight hours minimum just to get seen, make sure she didn't break anything, which she didn't, thank God. And then rehab and that whole process of being her primary caretaker. And there is literally no support except for one cousin in Florida and a couple of texts from other people in my family about this. Um, her, her mental disease was so bad that she, she knew who I was, but she didn't know where she was. She was 
it was so awful. But now that she's back in her assisted living place for a couple of weeks, she's leveled off. And so she's my mom again with short-term memory loss mm-hmm. and can't remember names. But that whole, oh my God. I mean, that's why I talk, it surprised me in talking about my dad that I'm still grieving and crying because I've mostly been focused on my mom over the past two months mm-hmm. and taking care of her. And all I can say about all of it is that time is fucking short people and that compassion, forgiveness, and joy are really important. And my own regrets about my dad were anytime. I mean, I would, after he died, I'm like, why did I ever fight with you? You know, and I know that's irrational. I mean, you have to set your boundaries. You have to have your life, but Mm -hmm. it's just so short. Mm -hmm. So without rushing a lifelong program, I encourage myself and others to just as gently as we can work a hard program. You know, Mm -hmm. get the miracles, get the recovery, get the support, make the calls, you know, because we are only promised today. Yeah. Well, this is the, this is what you build the toolkit for, right? I mean, this is the life moment that the toolkit exists for (laughs) and you need all the tools at, at, at times like this versus just, you know, a wrench occasionally. Yeah. And I'm, I must say, I mean, it was. It was great to hear you say, Corey, that I'm in such a good place now, which is true. My work is good. My health is good. My life is good. My, you know, everything is really, really good. And there's also this really, really hard shit going on, you know, all this loss in such a short time and all this anger, all this emotion. And if it wasn't for the toolkit and the history, like 11, 12, whatever many years I've been doing this and, and the support of everybody in the rooms, especially newcomers, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to function. I would be in the hospital too. I mean, I've had suicidal thoughts during this time and I don't have them alone. You know, I don't stay there long. I go, oh, well, mm, no, you know, that asking for help is a tool that I was always ashamed mm. of and I'm not anymore. Mm. And a lot yeah. of my friends have said, you've always been there for us. It's your turn. You know, I was thinking a lot about your stained glass window convers- at the funeral <laughs> and I don't know if this is an Al Anon thing or having grown up <clears throat> with depression in my house. And I lost a lot of people, so there was a lot of grief. But um, there was always something really clarifyingly present about grief. It's not, sort of like illness, right? Like you just, you can't really worry too much about, like if you're sick, right? You can't really worry about 10 years from now. You're just trying to like, you know, get through the day which we're all just trying to do anyway, but we create this delusion that we're like thinking about a million things at once. And there's something about death that is very, that always brought me to a really present place. Like you, I would, would notice the flower or notice the, the bird. And I think that to me is so much about 
the beauty of Al-Anon, right? Where you have these two things existing simultaneously. You're sitting in grief and you can see how beautiful a bird is. And some of that's just life. But I also feel like that gray area, that holding of both spaces is really what I strive for in this program because they're both true. And there was such extremism, right? Only one could be true at any given time in Al-Anon, you know, prior to being in Al-Anon. So I really love the, that that share in particular about the stained glass window. I'm curious, you know, what other kind of moments you learned, what other like kind of interesting learnings you got from this experience and how it related to your program? Well, both my parents have been, have always put an emphasis on, emphasis on beauty. And so I think that's part of the reason that I finally got myself to being an artist and that practice of noticing and observing and um, paying attention, just paying attention, you know, I should have a bumper sticker that says, I will stop for something beautiful. You know, it's just, it's, it's where my higher power shows up in those, that little dew drop on the flower petal or the fall leaf on the ground that has all the gradient colors or just, you know, little kids laughing, all that stuff that just fills me up. And, um, one of the things that I can share about my dad's death is that when he died, it was the first time in my entire life where I did exactly the fuck what I wanted. I did not answer calls. I took time returning texts. I was like, I'm going first for the first time. That's, that's a hell of a long time to wait in my life to do that. But that feeling, I feel like, was the last gift he gave me was that permission for extreme self-care, not self-centeredness, self-care, you know, because what I need can be very different from what my biological family needs or what my guy needs or my dog needs, or my mom, or my jobs. And I just made everybody wait. I mean, that's a harsh way to put it, but I just, I asked for what I needed. I, I couldn't do anymore. I physically, emotionally couldn't do it. And, and that was a beautiful part of his passing. Betty, there's a phrase that I've heard many times that's, I don't think it is Al-Anon approved, but it's that there's a lot of grief in growth Mm. And um, you know that came that phrase came to me really gratefully, really early in program, like within the first two years of program for me. And it really helps me all the time, all the time when grief shows up. Um, How do we get that Alan approved? I just did it. I just. <laughs> I just asked and they said, okay. <laughs> As if it would ever take any well, less than two five minutes, years. Right. The beauty yeah. of this is this whole thing is an Alan approved. So I know. who cares? I know. <laughs> we don't care. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I love just that. like to say that though. You know, I, I yeah. think to me, it's important for me and our podcast to be really clear about like 
things that are truly all in all literature and are not, you know, and I don't know, I don't think that that one is. Um, But for me, like it is a huge part of my program. And when grief comes up, you know, I get to go, Oh, wow. I think it it brings me so much comfort to, cause ultimately like, you know, when we're talking about program for me, like two like top, top things, phrases that I like keep up there are like, let it begin with me and like, keep the focus on myself. If I can just like keep those up at the top with my higher power, like shit, shit's good. You know, things get, I can work things out, whatever. There's no situation too difficult to be bettered there's not there's no you know and so um when I remember I'm like oh I'm grieving I'm grieving and then I'm like oh right and also there's a lot of grief in growth and so therefore maybe also my grief is about me growing too not just about the loss but also about and you know because with loss I'm I'm releasing something in, in order to that and creates more space for me to expand, you know, and grow. And, um, and so, you know, which I think is tricky when we have like the loss of a human being in our lives, um, in whatever way, shape or form that loss may come about and the grief that follows. So I just wondered if, if in your journey around grief, you know, related to your father's passing, and or just all you know maybe just just in general the grief around all all of the things that you're experiencing now like do you also is there any is there a growth element oh god so much everywhere every element of my life i mean i'm doing different things at work because as a teaching artist there's i've been not been in the classroom since september 13th of last year Mm. So I got pissed off and created these art kits because um, a lot of the populations I work with don't have access to Zoom and tech and all that stuff. So I figured out a way to grow there to reach people and it's been successful. I also um, have had to communicate, like I said, had to communicate my needs or what I didn't need more. And had, you know, it didn't come out gracefully in the beginning, right? But it got better. So that was growth. And I have a new sponsor now who I was calling. I'm like, everything is really good, but I don't feel grounded. And she told me this story that I will horribly retell about a lobster, about the lobster shell, how the lobster, when it grows its shell, it sheds the shell and then the lobster has to retreat and grow the next shell. And so when they're doing that, they are vulnerable and sad. Well, no, they're not sad. I'm sad. Vulnerable and exposed. Maybe they're sad. Maybe they're sad. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, and I just, I just felt so uncomfortable, but I loved that story. I'm like, okay, so I'll, and she, gave me direction to ask, go to the beach or take a walk and ask higher power why my soul was not in my body. And so I was like, okay. So I did it the next morning. And the answer was, again, beautiful and remarkable. And God said, because 
because your soul is bigger than your body, right? It's bigger than your body. That's why you're not grounded. And, you know, you need to start treating your body more like the temple that it really is, adorning it and fitting it and stretching it and being passionate and loving it and all of that. And I never expected that answer. I always am surprised and heartened and truly amazed by the answers I receive from higher power through all of you or direct conscious contact or that beautiful gradated fall leaf on the ground. Sorry, truck going by. I love that. I love that lobster metaphor. And what a beautiful. I can't hear you. Sorry, I didn't. I put my microphone down. I'm getting very casual. It's wow. <laughs> wow. I have to do this. Too comfortable. In a, too comfortable, in a Corey. Tiny bedroom for sound purposes. I love that. <laughs> I love that lobster metaphor. I'm... And um, what a beautiful message from your higher power. It's really. It's really. Lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Not the message we would give ourselves, right? Yeah. I mean, I'd like to think of myself as that big, but, you know, it's not, it's not an (laughs) Al-Anon thing, but, well, I don't mean that, like, in my sarcastic way. I'd like to think of myself as bigger than my body, but I think we have that, that non-Al-Anon quote, and I don't know it exactly, but, you know, we're not afraid of how small we are, we're afraid of how big we are. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Never heard that one. Oh yeah, that's that's, I think that's it's Anias Nen or something. No, that's the Bud quote. Anyway, look up that quote. It's a good one. But yeah, no. Generally, we're afraid of being large. Yeah, not small. Yeah, you said you felt like a lobster, Claire. Oh yeah, I just shed all my fucking tails, and it's just like you know. And also, though I've chosen let's just roll with this metaphor for a second and then I think we'll slip into our reading for the day um <laughs> I also like live in a really lush uh underwater beautifully cavernous rocky um lots of seaweed and other you know comforting things I can rub up against uh I I don't live out in the desolate, flat, empty desert of the ocean bottom, you know, the ocean floor. No, like I have I have created a home that takes care of myself. Like when I'm growing, when I'm shedding some lobster uh, tail pieces, you know? And so I can, I get a retreat. I get to take care of myself. And so I really, truly appreciate this metaphor so much because I get, like, I just think sometimes the concept of vulnerability and being in a place of growth and being vulnerable and having emotions that are squishy and tender. For me, that meant like that then I had no armor and I was going to die because of the upbringing I had. And it was not a safe place to be vulnerable most of the time. And that's just not the case today. Like I've created an environment that I live in that is so safe to be vulnerable in and actually caters to my vulnerability um, and allows for like me to 
I mean, my tail's going to be so big after this. I'm going to be swishing about. I'm going to be going faster than I ever swam before, you know? Like, Plus, you got yeah. those claws, you know? Pinch, pinch. <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> Can I say one quick thing about retreat since you mentioned retreat? Yeah. I did because I knew that I had vacation time set up owed to me. And because I knew that my dad was not going to live, I saved my vacation time and actually took two personal retreats after he died. So I could go someplace safe in COVID and quiet and without Al-Anon and like, if I were in denial, that would never have happened. So that was another tool I'd like to share in case somebody needs that. And what growth, Betty, to be able to make that decision for yourself. That's so beautiful. I love hearing that. It's really yeah. quite miraculous. The thing I feel, I find that the things I see people do now, you know, versus what whatever, however many years ago, or there's just so much incredible growth and program in the rooms and recovery and people just changing their lives for the better. And it's, um, I'm in awe often of that. So thanks for sharing that. Sure. We don't do it alone. No, we do not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. We, the we of this, these peoples don't. I mean, you know. No. Yeah. No. Claire, has, has your, your lobster claw turned over the pages for some readings today? It has. It has. It's, it's, <laughs> giant, I, it's in my pincher. Like pinching it and turning my... <laughs> these giant pages. Very, de- very delicately, yes. Don't cut yes. those pages with those claws. I won't. I'm I'm aware of my dexterity. It's. Uh... Mm. I'll send you another book if you need one. Great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we today are reading from Hope for Today, which is one of our Alan on Daily readers. This is conference approved literature. And you know, I just I just went to, to the back and looked in the index for grief and I picked one. And this is June 7th, page 159. I rarely cried while I was growing up in my alcoholic family. I was sure it was a sign of weakness. However, my emotions came as a package. When I turned off one feeling, I shut off all the others. Mm-hmm. When my mother died, I had been in Al-Anon a little less than one year. She was my primary reason for joining the program. She was also my best friend. My grief was and sometimes still is unbearable. If it weren't for the program, my sponsor, and the support of fellow Al-Anon members, I wouldn't be able to grieve at all. Thanks to the program, I now realize that grieving is not a sign of frailty. In fact, it's the opposite. Sobbing, wailing, lamenting, all different ways of discharging my pain so that I can heal. Allow me to experience the strength of my aliveness. They give me the freedom to miss an an amazing woman, and to carry her memory with me always. The first, second, and third steps helped me locate the threshold of recovery. Then they gave me the key to open the door to accepting and loving my mother. Now they accompany me as I walk down this dark and lonely hallway called grief. I'm glad I found Al-Anon in enough time to tell my mother I loved her just as she was. I may not have done it perfectly, but I did it. 
My mother gave me so much and she continues to give today. Grieving lets me know that we were truly connected and that the love I felt and still feel for her is real. Thought for the day. The feeling of grief can be an affirmation of forgiveness and reconnection. I know now that the grief I experience is normal, but if I use the tools of the program, I will be able to work through it. There's that damn hallway again. <laughs> I know. I was like, I was like, Betty said a bunch of stuff that's in this reading. <laughs> <laughs> and to recap, Betty share, we have this reading that's pretty much a synopsis. <laughs> I think what I love about that is, you know, we're not trying to get out of grief or mm. stop it or end it or what have you. And I think that is we as a yeah. society are sort of set up to be like, even if we allow ourselves to like, go, oh, you're going to need some time to grieve, but like you need to put a stop to that in like a few months or something like, or you should go take a cruise so you can get that out of your system or something. And, mm. and that's just not how it works. Right. So the program mm -hmm. allows us to have the feeling exists. I mean, I felt grief yesterday for my divorce, visiting my ex-mother-in-law um, who I get to see whenever I want, but I just had like grief. It just came up mm -hmm. the death of mm -hmm. a life that is over now and has nothing to do with the fact that we had a lovely meal and walked in her garden. But like, I got to just sort of have a few tears and ha and let it be. And that's what I think is my favorite thing about grief as, as far as it relates to program. Yep. Yeah. All right. Any final thoughts? I'm really grateful. I'm so grateful to get to be a part of a community that supports healthy grieving and loss and respects it. And, um, you know, and a lot like you were saying earlier, Betty, you know, you, you're getting the most out of the rooms because nobody interrupts you, right? Like nobody's <laughs> like, well, let me tell you how you can get over your, your dad. And it's like... <laughs> It's like nobody's doing that. Yeah, <laughs> Betty did the middle finger when I said that <laughs> to whoever was saying that to her. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's pretty incredible the space that we're given in the rooms. Um, even amongst Sacred. all of our, even amongst all of our disease, right? Like I have, I have the disease. I bring it. You know, like it, I can't not bring it with me. You know. Um, yeah, and even even so, it's there's still so much honored love and space to be whoever we are in whatever moment, mm -hmm. wherever two or more are gathered. It truly is sacred, or can be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that was some sacred time we spent with you, Betty. Thank you so much for joining us. I miss you guys. Thank you for asking <laughs> me to be with you. Mm. It was so lovely. It really was. And I love your podcasts, and I know that they are making people laugh and cry and now grieve. <laughs> <laughs> you hear that? We're forcing you to grieve today. So. That's right. We're making <laughs> you do it. We are making We're you making grieve. making you. You better grieve now. Um, well, no, thank, thank, and, thanks. Uh, thank you for that, Betty. We'll, we'll yeah. see you soon in person, I hope. I hope yeah. so, too. Well, everybody keep. Oh, oh, right. 
Keep Come coming. on, Corey. Keep, keep coming back. Ending. Keep coming back. You're so bad. It works if you work it. If you're worth it. And you're worth it. No if. No you're worth it. No if, Claire. <laughs> I think we know where Claire is today. Ah! <laughs> Look, I'm worth it, okay? You're worth it, Claire. Yeah. You're worth it. Call me later, Claire. Call me, Claire. <laughs> oh, I, I, on my list, babe. It's on my list. <laughs> I love you both. Love you too. This podcast is produced by Claire and Corey. Original music by Austin Bunn. Original crosstalk logo by Jonathan Grant. Special thanks to our awesome editor, Joe. And thanks to all of our listeners. Keep coming back. Keep coming back.